Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Thank you for downloading this podcast. 702.co.za or capetalk.co.za Stand up for the law. Stand up for decency. Stand up for compassion. Stand up for respect. Stand up for your community. Stand up for your future. Stand up for South Africa. LeadSA.co.za The Naked Scientist on Talk Radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk with Reedy Clappy. Okay, The Naked Scientist is brought to you by MWeb. MWeb, connect and you can. Good morning to you, Chris. Hello, Reedy. Hi, I forgot last, were you in Australia last week? When, when were you away? Is that still coming? Yes, I was talking with you from Sydney in Australia last week and I literally got back uh, yesterday. So, just touched down yesterday afternoon. So, oh, I... Um, I just just arrived back in the country. Only the next day, as I was reading some of the tweets that came through during the show, I thought, no man, didn't he say he was going to Australia? W- was he in Australia yesterday? Is that why the line wasn't so clear? I felt rather silly for remembering after the fact. Um, and, and Chris, any interesting things that you were doing? Uh, was it personal or was it in your role as the naked scientist? Because <laughs> that's what we're interested in. Um, yeah, it was mainly professional stuff. I started off in Sydney because we have uh, relationships with the ABC, the equivalent of the BBC in Australia. So I went to see them because we've got some things we're cooking up there. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get some sunshine. So <laughs> that was nice. Uh, then I went over to Perth because there was a conference happening in the west of Australia right. called the Australia Omics Conference. And this was all about bringing together scientists who are looking at all of these different omics, like genomics, metabolomics, proteomics, all these different specialist ways of looking at how cells work. And we listened to all these amazing speakers, actually. There were people there who were sequencing the genomes mm. of people who died out, died 5,000 years ago. There were people working out how DNA is controlled in cells. It was phenomenal, actually. And I was interviewing people for our program, so mm-hmm. I came home with a big load of interviews on, on all these things, which I'll now start editing. Um, and we're also setting up an initiative with Murdoch University in Western Australia, one of the universities there, because they have a bit of a supply problem mm. uh, in Australia generally. There's about 5,000 jobs going every year in agriculture, and they've only got about 500 people who are qualified to do those jobs coming through the production line every year. So there's, in other words, a 90% undersupply. Mm. And they want to try and change this by encouraging more people to do science-related things at school and then at university so that then they can grow their own, if you like, if you pardon the agriculture analogy. (laughs) And uh, they want us to help them with that. Okay. And, uh, Chris, just to start off with, I, I, I retweeted a, uh, a tweet that came from the Naked Scientist, and it was about menstrual cycles. The question was, do menstrual cycles synchronize for women living together, or is this just myth? And I've heard women uh, tease each other and say, oh, you started now, that means I'm also <laughs> going to go there. Is, uh, is there any truth to that? I mean, really? 
Well, we, for years we've all been saying that there is a lot of truth to really? it. And if you look at the sort of evolutionary arguments that are put forward, it makes great sense that if you've got women who are all having their periods at the same time, they're probably likely to get pregnant at the same time, and this means that there's likely to be people who could look after babies at the same time. So if something happens to one mum, or one mum needs to go off somewhere, then there's another mum who's recently had a baby who could look after that a woman's baby. Um, but the thing is mm -hmm. that we decided to actually look for the evidence on this, and we approached a number of people who are now saying, actually, if you look using the right statistical tools, there doesn't appear to be a relationship between uh, people having their periods together or not. It doesn't seem to happen. It seems to be uh, basically reporter bias. People tend to notice when they are having their menstrual cycles coinciding. They don't tend to report as much when they don't, and it's leading to people concluding that there is a relationship and there isn't. Mm, very interesting indeed. Let's go straight to the lines. Um, Gerald in Houtby, hi. Hello. Mm. <coughs> this is my question. Given that our body cells are constantly changed or renewed, why do we deteriorate physically with age? Why does the cell renewal not keep us forever young? Does it mean that aging is genetically pre-programmed? Is this a function of evolution designed to allow for constant improvement through evolution? That's my question. Hello, Gerald. Uh, yes, a very good question, and I think you've hit the nail on the head. There are a number of theories on this, but one that seems the most tractable is the one that argues that we have selected genes which give us enhanced fertility. Uh, in other words, that when we're young, they mean that we can make sure we are able to reproduce rapidly and healthily. But those same genes may then have a deleterious effect once we have reproduced and we're older, because we've escaped beyond the power of natural selection. Because most of the selective pressure on genes is uh, effective when we are at reproductive age, mm -hmm. and that means for the most part of our, uh, our lifetimes, ev in ev evolutionary terms, going back the millions of years that there have been humankind on Earth, or human-like animals around, most of that pressure is going to be exerted under the age of 30, because if you lived beyond the age of 30 a couple of million years ago, you were getting on a bit. And that means that genes which have the effect of making you healthy and very reproductively successful uh, do not necessarily have to have a beneficial effect in old age either. And so some people mm. have argued that, that there is this genetic toss-up going on, and that could be why we, we tend to age. Another idea is that there's only a finite amount of, of resource that the person can put into their body to keep it fit and healthy, and that there's a trade-off between putting resources into reproduction and putting resources into repair. And you can't... Uh, fund both things, so you have to decide which do you want to fund. And unfortunately, the the spend on reproduction wins, and there is therefore um, a failure to re repair adequately across lifetime. So we slowly accrue more and more damage as we go on, and and repair is suboptimal, and so we clap out as we get older. Unfortunately. Thank you very much, Gerald. And Lesejo in Kempton Park. Hi. Hi, good day. Uh, I'm asking this question on behalf of my daughter. Unfortunately, she's at school. She's seven years old. Mm -hmm. She asked me the other day, uh, Papa, why does it seem that when it rains, the pool is full of frogs? Does God chase them from heaven? <laughs> What's, you know, if God chases the frogs from heaven, so they land in the pool after rain? What should, what's your, your daughter's, daughter's name? Frog. What's your yeah. daughter's name, Lesejo? Can you, can you hear that? Yeah. Oh, Tsejo. Tsejo. Yeah. 
Oh, well, that's, that's lovely, and I'm, I'm glad that she's looking at the world around her. Mm. I can only suggest that when it rains a lot, that this creates an environment which is more ideal for frogs to come out into, because frogs are amphibians, and despite the the myth, they only come down to the water relatively infrequently, and that's to mate, because they want to lay their frog spawn in the water. They actually spend most of their lives out in the environment where they catch insects and, and hide, staying out of the sun because they have a damp skin, and if they got into the sun, then they would dry out and they would lose water too quickly, so they actually stay where it's nice and cool and shady, but warm enough to keep them active, because they're cold-blooded and they need to soak up some heat from the environment in order to be active. But when it rains a lot, the environment becomes very damp and humid, so that the frogs don't lose heat as quickly, and so they can come out of where they were hiding, hop around in the environment, and inevitably they also occasionally fall into swimming pools. And then they have a problem, because most swimming pools are made so that humans can get in and out of them. They're not terribly easy for animals to get in and out of, because they have sheer vertical sides that they can't get a grip on and the steps are too far away for them to hop out and so once they're in there they can't get out until you help them thank you very much uh and say hi to Tsiho for us and celeste and Santon, i think we, we've had this question before it was quite a while back but uh well it doesn't hurt to go back celeste and Santon, hi hi um i'd like to know whenever i go with my husband on trips i'm the only one who gets bitten by mosquitoes we can be in a group of five they bite no one but me is it like something in our blood that makes them bite only specific people or, and we aren't doing repellent, like no one wears repellent, but they just bite me so and no one else. Celeste, so you know how I remember that we had this question before? Because yes. I used to ask my dad, why is it that in the family, I get uh-huh. bitten more than everyone else? And then he said, because I'm, I'm light skinned, <laughs> so the mosquito can see me in the dark and it can't see the rest of the family. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, Chris. <laughs> it's a good thought, but I don't think it's strictly the right one. Sure. Um, I was out having a, a nice barbecue in Perth just at the weekend, and some people sitting at the table were being absolutely eaten alive by mosquitoes. Ooh. I was largely being ignored. And the person sitting next to the person being eaten alive was being ignored. And previously we thought this was just bad luck, but now we have some idea as to what's going on. There are researchers, including a guy called John Pickett, Professor John Pickett, who's based at Rothamsted Research, which is a centre in Britain, and they have been looking at why it is that some people smell good or not to mosquitoes. And what they do is collect the odours coming off of the bodies of people. So they put people into a sort of chamber where they can collect all of the volatile agents that are coming off a person's body. Now, people make CO2, carbon dioxide, that's in their breath, But also coming out from your skin are a range of low concentration volatile agents, which are organic molecules. And they're included included in that is the things that make sweat smell the way this it does. And the cocktail of chemicals that come out and the composition and the relative amounts are different from one person to the next. And what they're finding is that some people make a combination of these chemicals that mosquitoes find very attractive whilst other people find certain chemicals that people make very unattractive to the extent that even the attractive chemicals are overwhelmed by the unattractive or repellent chemicals. The reason they're doing this work is that they want to try to find what the natural chemicals are that we produce ourselves to Mm. ward off mosquitoes so that we could make even better insect repellents. And the other thing they're interested in looking at is in countries where mosquitoes cause diseases like malaria, do we find people in the population that tend to naturally produce lots more of these repellent chemicals because over the course of evolution, nature would have selected for those people who are less prone to being bitten because they would have less chance of getting malaria. So they're looking at those sorts of questions now with the ultimate goal of coming up with much better mosquito repellents that are also safe.
Very interesting indeed. Thank you very much, Celeste, for the question. Let's go to Sipo in Maryland. Hi, Sipo. Um, my question to the scientist is um, it's on epigenetics, EPI genetics. Mm-hmm. I want to know, um, I know it's a big buzzword now on, on DNA regulation. Thing, but I want to know, because the clinical trials, I believe, on uh, on solid tumors and, and all these drugs that, 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 that regulate how the DNA um, uh, protein. Now, I want to know where are we and where is the most uh, going and how does it really, really work, epigenetics? Okay, a brilliant question and something which is really, really important and and just beginning to really gain enormous traction in science. Mm -hmm. When people like Watson and Crick 50, 60 years ago sequenced the genetic code, we thought that that was it. We thought that that's how cells are controlled. They have genetic messages written into the DNA which tell cells how to make chemical recipes which run the cells by making various biomolecules that cells need. What we've realized since, and really we understand a lot more about this now, is that those genes are controlled not just by turning on and off genes, but also by adding chemical groups onto the proteins called the histones that the DNA winds itself around. And when you add things called methyl groups, and in some cases acetyl groups, onto these proteins, you can control how active a gene is. And there are various chemicals in the cell that add these chemical groups or remove these chemical groups from these histone proteins. And in some cases, they can even add methyl groups onto the DNA letters, some of them, itself. And this has the effect of regulating the expression of different genes. And why this is important is that scientists are now beginning to look at certain diseases, exactly as we've just heard, cancer might be relevant here, because the genes that tend to be affected in cancers... uh, or or tend to be mutated or or more active or less active than they should be, include genes associated with growth. And so some of the problem associated with cancers growing too much is because these chemical groups have been changed on the proteins attached to the DNA. And so scientists are wondering whether we might be able to control cancer cells better if we can work out how to put those groups back on or take them off appropriately. There are also some other diseases which are associated with these changes occurring or not occurring in the right places in cells. So we're now beginning to understand how these things are set and also how they can be unset because they may hold the key to treating a raft of different disorders like diabetes and other things like that. Thank you very much. Uh, let's uh, let's take a break. Shall we take a break, Thomas? And then Kosi Alexander, Steve, I see your calls coming back in just a moment. The Naked Scientist on Talk Radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk with Riddy Clappy. All right, and our lines are open for you on 021-446-0567-011-883-0702. Alexander in Pretoria, hi. Hi, uh, good morning to you. I just need to ascertain why does Bell's palsy occur in men predominantly and in pregnant women only? Bell's palsy, okay. Bell's palsy, yes. And also, if you do have it and you've been cured from it, will it happen to you again? Thank you. I'm listening on the radio. Mm-hmm. Hello, Alexander. The answer to this is unknown, but the most likely thing that's going on with Bell's palsy is that the facial nerve, which is the motor nerve, which comes from the brain stem out onto the face to supply the muscles of facial expression, and that's it. that means the muscles around your mouth, the muscles in your cheek, around your eye, and so on, it has to come out through a very tiny aperture, which is called the stylo hyoid foramen and to come out through that tiny hole 
uh, it's got to be, well, it, the, the hole is extremely small. And if anything causes swelling around the nerve, then it can squeeze the nerve and pinch off the nerve fibres. And the messages coming out of the brainstem don't fit through properly. It's stylomastoid foramen, I think. Sorry, I got that wrong. Um, so usually things which cause inflammation in nerves will trigger it. And sometimes being pregnant can also trigger it because when you are pregnant, fluid can build up in the body because one natural consequence of being pregnant is that there's loading of the extracellular fluid. You increase the amount of total body water. And this means there's more water in all the tissues. And if the nerve itself has more water in it, then it's bigger and it can be squeezed. And if you squeeze it, then you get the paralysis of one side of the face. And you can recognize if this has happened because if you say to someone who's got it, can you smile and show me all your teeth, then their mouth opens nice and widely and shows all their teeth on one side but very few teeth on the other, and the mouth might dro droop a little bit on the affected side. It can also be caused by a virus, uh, herpes simplex virus, which causes cold sores, and, and possibly also varicella zoster virus, the cause of chickenpox. This may also be associated with inflammation around the nerve and causing the nerve to become paralysed. It's not necessarily permanent, though, and when either the swelling goes down or when the infection that caused the nerve to be temporarily damaged goes away, then nerve fibres can regenerate, and they do that at about the rate of a couple of millimetres a day. They grow back down the nerve and back into the muscle. So most people do get back quite good function. The usual treatment is, if it's a, caused by a virus, to give a drug called acyclovir, which can stop the virus and therefore stop the damage to the nerve, and some steroids, mm -hmm. and the combination of these things brings down the inflammation and helps it to resolve. If it does happen, though, there are other reasons why it can happen, including things going on inside the head, including things like tumours. So it's very important to make sure one of those isn't happening as well. So um, there are common causes, but occasionally rare causes that are more serious. So if it, it, if it does happen all of a sudden for no reason that can be explained, it does need to be investigated. Right. Good luck, Alexander. And Steve has a follow-up question to the frogs conversation we started earlier. Steve, hi. Hi, um, um, Mr. Scientist, uh, do frogs have a sort of a, a sense like turtles do where water is? i tell you why. Is We built a house on top of a mountain some two, three hundred meters on a rock outcrop above the water and a kilometer away from the water. We built a, a rock pool and while we were building it, it filled up with a bit of rainwater and rocks uh, and frogs appeared in the pool. Um, how on earth did they know so far from the water, so high up above a mountain, that there would be water there? Is there, is there are they like turtles that sense where water is? Hello, Steve. I don't know the answer to this question, but I would speculate that they certainly do, because water is so fundamental to their ability to reproduce and to their life that it's almost certain that they're going to know what sorts of smells go along with water because if there's a patch of water around mm -hmm. there are other smells that go with it there are things given off by microorganisms that live in the water lichens on the rock that live near water algae produce various chemicals and frogs are really sensitive they have a good sense of smell and they can almost certainly home in on those smells which they have learned to associate with water one other interesting thing is that there was a paper published a couple of years ago from italy where some researchers went to study a mating process that happens with amphibians around a, a lake in the mountains in Italy and every year at a certain time of year coinciding with the full moon all of these amphibians gather in this lake in order to have a mating ceremony for want of a better word and they mate and then they disperse and for some reason these frogs began to appear and then they abruptly disappeared and then there was a massive earthquake a couple of days later and then the aftershocks carried on and it wasn't till all that was over that the frogs began to come back and the researchers speculate that these frogs somehow knew 
that there was something going on and that there was going to be this earthquake and they were speculating that perhaps there were chemicals coming up from the earth as it began to move a little bit ahead of the earthquake that the frogs were sensitive to. So they are really sensitive to chemicals in the environment and I suspect, like you speculate, they can smell out water, although they're not smelling the water necessarily itself, they're smelling the things that go with it. Thank you very much then, Steve. And, uh, oh, from from this Steve to another Steve in Pretoria. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Hi, Reddy. Hi, the Naked Scientist. How are you? Well, fine, Steve. Uh, very questions. good, thanks, Steve. Mm-hmm. I'm also fine, thanks. I'm just trying to find out, you know, in the rural areas, during the rainy season, they actually put car tires on top of the, the houses' the roofs. They say that prevents lightning. I'm not sure how true is that. They put yeah, tires on the, on the roof, roof of the of, of, of the house. Their, oh. Of their houses, yeah. They're, 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 what you call corrugated uh, iron, uh, okay. Yes, and then they put tires around them. They say that prevents lightning. I'll, I'll listen on the radio. Okay, never heard of it. But. Hi, Steve. I'm not very convinced, to be honest, because the way a lightning conductor or a lightning rod works is that it actually effectively distorts the electric field so that the lightning is more likely to find a safe path to Earth via the lightning rod were it to hit the building than actually to, to strike the building. And putting tires on the roof of, or, or a tire on the roof of a house is very unlikely to make a difference because tires are quite good insulators and it's likely to be raining anyway so there's going to be a path across the surface of the tire onto the roof. So I, I don't, I don't get it. Can I just say, I, I've been tweeted and I ought to acknowledge this, um, Mandisi has tweeted me at Naked Scientists and said, when addressing South Africans, can you please call a bry a bry and not a barbecue? I Thank saw that. I'd just like to say, um, <laughs> Actually, we were referring to an event going on in Australia, and so tongue-in-cheek, we should say with a, with a wink, actually it was a barbecue because it was happening in Australia, not in South Africa. When I come to South Africa, I do, of course, pa- enjoy very much participating in a good braai. Uh, that's actually strange, Chris, because I, I started writing to this person and I decided not to do it. I decided to be, to be nice because I wanted to say... Uh, you know, I wanted to ask which South Africans have complained. Is she a spokesperson for the South Africans, or you know, if if of all the questions she could ask you that one, we we understood that you were talking about Australia, but uh, uh, some people feel strongly about these matters. Well, no, I just think it's important that we, we do yeah. read these things, everybody, and we are very very in tune with what people think. We're trying to please you all the time, so please keep your tweets coming in. We enjoy them, and we fail them all the time, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> you should have mentioned that one. We'll speak again next week, Chris. Thanks, Rudy. Have a good one, everybody. Bye-bye.